here's a few reasons why people don't go to church. I can't come to church until I get my life together. Church is how I got my life together. Church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And there's always room for one more. All they care about is your money. They care about me, not about my money. Is there some kind of dress code? Yes, the code is wear some clothes. Church, it just makes me nervous. I was nervous at first, and then I felt right at home. I'm not sure I believe everything that you believe. But you can still belong. Church is for wimpy, girly men. You want to say that again? If you knew me and what I've done, you wouldn't want me. If you knew me and what I've done, you wouldn't be worried. You can come to my church even if you were brought up Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Jewish, Mormon, Lutheran, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Church of Christ, Southern Baptist, a little bit of everything and a whole lot of nothing. See, it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. So please, come to my church. Where nobody's perfect. Where beginners are welcome. Where socks are optional. But grace is required. Where forgiveness is offered. Where hope is alive. And where it's okay to not be okay. Really. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? Well, for those of you that are new this morning, my name is Pastor Evan Carter, and I love Berean. I just consider it a huge privilege. Amen. Yeah. I think all of you are awesome. My wife and I have been here just a little over two and a half years, and uh, we're a little concerned about all of you because it seems like you still like us. And so, um, no, we're excited to be here. As Pastor Justin mentioned, Pastor Gary and Carol are uh, just wrapping up their uh, little getaway and just excited about a pastor that values being healthy and getting away and, and just spending some time to decompress and excited about that. I consider it a huge honor to serve under his leadership. I've been a part of the Iowa district for quite a long time now, and he is probably the greatest preacher in our district. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, <clears throat> definitely, uh, definitely stands with the Giants as far as his leadership as well. So consider it a huge honor to serve under him and excited to have him back in the office Monday, uh, but also very thankful for his time of refreshing. Um, this morning, I want to uh, speak to you a little bit about uh, why church. We're in a series right now. But to start off, I want to tell you a little bit about my church story. So go on a journey with me. <clears throat> as far as I can remember, uh, the year was 1989, and uh, it was at the height of my rebellion, is what I call it. Uh, I had ran away from home. I hitchhiked all the way to Iowa from Tennessee. I was angry and lonely, and I was depressed and without hope. And uh, four divine events happened in my life, and I want to share those with you. Uh, first of all, I lived in a one-room apartment in Oskaloosa, Iowa. 
And one night I was lying in bed and I was rehearsing my anger. How many of you have ever rehearsed your anger? You're like, it's just like a, it's like the song that never ends. That is not original, right? So <clears throat> I was rehearsing my anger. And this is what I kept saying. I don't have to put up with anyone. I am my own man now. You see? I don't have to put up with anyone. I am my own now, man now. And the Holy Spirit, just, you know how he's a gentleman, he swept up next to me and he sat next to my bed there and he says, I don't have to put up with you either, but I do because I love you. That was my divine appointment, number one. Second one, our high school football coach, I was walking down the halls my senior year of high school, and uh, he, he grabbed me shoulder to shoulder. He squared up with me, and he looked me in the eyes, and he says, I know you can't see it right now, but I see greatness in you. That was a moment for me. Third thing, a hero of the faith by the name of Max Johnson. Does anyone know that name? He's an amazing man of God, and he uh, ran into him in the mall in Oskaloosa, and he invited me back to church. And I told him I wasn't going to go. Just like the video, I said, I'm not going to go. It's full of hypocrites. I'm not interested. And uh, he said, there's room for one more. I'll save you a seat. And uh, that, was a, that was a moment for me. And the fourth one was my cousin. Her name's Sherry. Very valuable, dear to my heart. She, back then, she was maybe 80 pounds dripping wet. Real tiny gal. And she came and she knocked on the door of my one-room apartment. She says, hey, I want you to come to youth group with me to, tonight. She attended a youth group in New Sharon, Iowa. And I said, I appreciate the invite. I'm not interested. And she put on her angry eyebrows and she said, this isn't a request. You're gone. <laughs> and so uh, I was impressed by that, that I got up. I got in her car with her. And when I went to this youth group, the, the leaders and the people in that youth group accepted me unconditionally. And I found community in the midst, midst of that. And through that process, the leaders led me back to Jesus. What a moment. I can trace my heritage through that process. I can see the hand of God moving in that process. And this morning, we're going to try to answer the question once again, why church? And, and I, actually, I actually love that question. I think it's a great question. In fact, I love the word why. Um, the, the word why or the why question is an opportunity. I've always viewed it as an opportunity. Because why is an open door that can get all of us to consensus. We can all get on the same page if we'll just pause and have a conversation and try to answer a why question. And so even in my leadership when I was at the camp, I always fostered an environment with the staff that, hey, if, if you don't understand why we're doing something, I want you to pause and ask me, why are we doing this? I want to make sure that we can answer that question. And so it reminds me of a story of a, a mother and daughter that were preparing for Thanksgiving dinner. And uh, they were uh, preparing the ham. How many of you eat ham instead of Thanksgiving? Okay, there's hope for the rest of you. Um, but I'm not a big dry turkey guy. Maybe I just don't know how to make turkey. So this mom and this daughter are preparing this ham for Thanksgiving. And the mom takes this huge knife and she cuts the end of the ham off and she puts it in the pan. And the daughter says, Mom, why do you cut the end of the ham off? And the mom looked at her like it was just a dumb question. You know what I mean? She says, well, I don't know. Your grandma always did. And she made the best hams. And so the young daughter called grandma and said, Grandma, why did you cut the end of the ham off all those years? And she says, because my pan was too small. 
The why question is valuable. Asking why and answering why can help us get to consensus sometimes. You see, this is the third message in a series, and a few weeks ago, Pastor Gary preached an amazing message titled, Why Jesus Never Misses Church. It was just a very challenging, profound message, and it was an honor to be challenged by that. And then last week, Pastor Justin uh, climbed up on a scaffolding or ladder. I, time out. I've had about 30 people ask me if I was going to climb on a chair this week. This doesn't climb, people. Okay? I can't follow that. But he preached an amazing message of why the faith community is a non-negotiable for believers. What a challenging word. The faith community is a non-negotiable. As believers in Christ, we have to engage the church. And my goal this morning is to share with you why we find significance in church. We're going to try to digest that a little bit. Now, next Friday and Saturday, I'm going to be teaching uh, a class called Homiletics at the Iowa School of Ministry. Uh, homiletics is a class that teaches preachers the art of delivering a sermon properly. One of the main things we teach them is when you, when you write a sermon, you don't clearly state your points. You want them to naturally, flow naturally, but be clear, and, and don't just announce your title. So in light of that, I'm going to tell you what my three points are. Uh, so hopefully this won't be shown at the class. Uh, on, on rare occasions, we try to do this, but I want to make it really clear to you that there's three points from my perspective of, that are going to help us answer the why question of why church. The first one is church equals eternal significance. Church equals eternal significance. Now, significance is belonging to something that has value. Everyone desires to be a part of something significant. This is why gangs were invented. That sounds good, doesn't it? Back in the 40s and 50s, there were things called mafias. Did you know the word mafia means family? My grandpa always called the Carter family mafia. I'm not sure that that was the best way to explain this, but uh, there were probably some parallels there. But what happened is, as, we, as gangs began to arise, we, we began to try to understand that psychologically, and we found out that there was this entire generation of young people that were growing up that didn't have any kind of connectivity to uh, a family or a community or significance, and the result was they created their own. They found significance in the wrong places. Does that make sense? And so these gangs begin to pop up and different things like that. And as humans, we crave this sense of significance. You see, th this, this principle is based on a sense of belonging to something that is greater than one individual. There's a natural inclination for humanity to be a part of something that is greater than they are. We crave that. But what I want to talk to you this morning is eternal significance. You see, there's significance but then there's eternal significance. And this is a longing to be a part of something that matters forever. I, I crave that. As a, as a believer in Christ, I want everything I do to have eternal dividends. I want to affect eternity in the lives of people. Does that make sense? You can find something significant to belong to about anywhere. Bowling leagues, tournament clubs, uh, golf leagues, I don't care what it is. We can find significance in things. But eternal significance is different. You see, the church is the only place to find eternal significance. 
In the scriptures, we see several examples of eternal significance. I want to walk through a few of those with you this morning. The first one is, is Jesus. You know, in, in biblical times, a lot of people were named Jesus. Did you know that? There was a lot of Jesuses. I don't even know how to write that, where the comma goes or whatever. But there were a lot of Jesuses in, in biblical times. But in Matthew 16, we see Peter with Jesus, and Jesus says to him, who do you say that I am? And I believe there was this moment of revelation in the life of Peter where he says, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Peter, Jesus went on to explain it. It wasn't flesh and blood that revealed this to you. You see, Jesus was significant because he was the son of the living God. He was the Christ. He was different than all other Jesuses before him and after him. There's only one Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we call him Emmanuel. This declaration that Peter mentioned that Jesus was the Christ had eternal significance. Another example, John, John the Baptist. He was known as the one crying out in the wilderness. And in John chapter 1, he says, Make straight the way of the Lord. That was a declaration of eternal significance. In the book of Ruth, chapter 2, we see this amazing story of, of a hopeless situation where Ruth meets this kinsman redeemer named Boaz, and her circumstances changed in the fields while she was gleaning. You see, here's what's interesting. If you study the genealogy of Christ, you can see Ruth is in that genealogy. That has eternal significance. And again, in Acts chapter 9, we see a man named Saul was confronted by a light from heaven. He was blinded for three days so that he could have sight. That has eternal significance because we see in the rest of his story that he is the one that God chose to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And for you this morning, my friends, that's pretty significant. If it wasn't for Paul and that Damascus Road experience, our circumstances would look different. The Holy Spirit, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, we, we see this dialogue from the prophet Isaiah. He says, For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. We go on in scripture to Joel chapter 2 where it says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And we see the culmination of that by Peter in chapter 2 of Acts where he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. The promise from the Old Testament was filled in this moment and the eternal, eternal significance uh, we, live, we live in today. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts has eternal significance. But in the midst of this dialogue, there's hundreds of others we could share out of Scripture. But in the midst of this dialogue, there's something that we really need to realize here. we got to get our brains wrapped around this principle. You see, you are referred to as the ecclesia. This is a Greek word, and it simply means the called out ones. You are the called out ones. This building isn't the church. You are the church, and that makes you significant. You are the bride of Christ. You are significant. Why? Why does that make us significant? Well, first of all, you are a chosen people. 
First Peter chapter 2 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You are significant. His goal is that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Number two, you are anointed by God. Bump your neighbor and say, you're anointed. And look back at him and say, I get that a lot. You're anointed by God, 2 Corinthians 1.21. Now it is God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. He has anointed us and he set his seal of ownership on us. You have been marked by the favor of God. That's significant. Number three, you're an ambassador. 2 Corinthians 5.20. It says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. He goes on to say, we, we can see that we have the goods. He's entrusted us in 2 Corinthians 5.19. It says that you have been given the message of reconciliation. <clears throat> to break that down, to try to understand that if he trusts you with the most valuable piece of information in the history of humanity, he must believe in you. That's significant. So if who you are in Christ is significant and you are the church, the church is significant. The church equals significance. Number two, the church equals a path to personal growth. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is an interesting one for me. This is something, a place where the Lord has been really challenging my wife and I in the last two and a half years. You see, my wife has one of those cricket machines. How many of you have a cricket machine? Okay, thank you. One person. Two of you, thank you. You can cut out vinyl letters and stick them on stuff. So about two and a half years ago, my wife cut out, I had her cut out in vinyl letters, the word focus and discipline. And we stuck those vinyl letters on every bathroom mirror in our house. So uh, the theory is we go to the bathroom at least, we bathe at least once a day. And we read that and we try to use that to focus on five areas of our life. Our, 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 our spiritual well-being, our physical man, our emotional health, our mental health, and our finances. We wanted to make sure that all of those are disciplined and focused for the sake of the kingdom. And so this, this is a significant one. And through this process of growth, uh, we've learned a lot. And here's what I've learned. If you engage at church, you grow at church. If you engage in church, you grow at church. You see, my call is twofold. It's real simple. To be the best Eben that I can be. And the second thing is to do my best to help others around me to be the best them they can be. In the midst of that, they discover Jesus. Those that adopt a plan for personal growth find the church valuable because we are designed to resource each other. You have gifts and talents that you need to share with the church family. And together in Christ, we become better. The church is a network of talent, and we can grow by interacting with each other. We can grow by investing in ourselves, and we can grow by investing in others. We need to be investors. I tell the young adults this all the time. You need community, but community also needs you. It's a contribution. It's a give and take. Together, we're better. If we engage at church, we grow in church. 
Let me try to illustrate this. In Philippians 4, 8, and 9, it says this. If you're a missionette or a, a girls' ministry person, you can follow along with this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think upon these things. But Paul goes on to say this. This is one of the profundities of Scripture that just really speak into my life. He says this, What you have learned or you've received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Do these things. Oh, and by the way, if you do that, the God of peace will be with you. So this, whatever you've learned, he says, I want you to teach what I teach. Whatever you've received from me, when you see me give, I want you to give. Whatever you've heard, what you hear me declare, I want you to declare. You should be declaring that same thing. And what you've seen, what I demonstrate, I want you to demonstrate. He goes on to tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is one of the brassiest scriptures I can think of. Paul says, uh, it says this, follow my example as I follow Christ. That's amazing. I want my life to be worthy enough to be followed. I want what is in me to come out of me and what comes out of me to be valuable enough to be reproduced in the lives of others. I want my life to be worthy of reproduction. This is my pursuit, and I believe with all my heart that this pursuit is significant. The people that are engaging the church are on the same pursuit. You're on this relentless pursuit of God, and at the same time, the Holy Spirit is on this relentless pursuit of you. So those that engage in church grow in church. And number three, church equals a safe harbor. Can I just tell you this morning that life can be difficult? You can get beat up out there. The church is a safe place to not be perfect. The church is a safe place to not be perfect. If you don't believe that, I'm just declaring that right now that this is a safe place for you to not be perfect. Notice I didn't say the church was a perfect place. Hello. You know, something I've learned... As we focus on the author and finisher of a faith, God can do great things in us and through us. The church isn't a perfect place. In fact, I believe with all my heart that the church is simply one beggar. It's a place where one beggar is telling another beggar where they found bread. We're all sinners saved by grace. At the end of the day, we both put our pants on the same way, one leg at a time. At the foot of the cross, it's level ground. There's no social status. There's no hierarchy. Your, your, your money doesn't, doesn't earn you position. We are sinners saved by grace. So church equals a safe harbor. We all contribute to this place being a safe place. And I believe that this is our reasonable, reasonable contribution. To be slow to decision, slow to anger, quick to listen, quick to forgive, full of grace, full of compassion, full of joy, and always persevering. I pray that every morning. 
I pray that every morning. And you know what? Sometimes I do really good at it. Sometimes not so much. Sometimes not so much. Now, a little bit of a side note, this personal focus and discipline journey I'm on, I've learned to see parallels of the days that I don't do so good and my investment in my devotions. That was for free. Okay. I found when I stay faithful to my devotions to God and I get up and I lay my burdens down, I get here in the mornings pretty early. I'm up early. My wife leaves by 7, so I'm usually ready and I come to work. And Linda gets here about 8, and I've done some. I, I plan, I pray, and then I read. That's my, I, I always plan before I pray. That sounds un, un, unspiritual, but if I write all the stuff down I need to do, I can get it off my mind so my prayers can be focused. And so I do some planning about that time Linda gets here, and I, I tell her, I don't, is she in here right now? There she is. I always say, Linda, I'm going to go get rid of myself. And I go into that prayer room, and I, I just, sometimes it's 15 minutes, sometimes it's a lot longer, because there's more to get rid of. And so far, she hasn't said, Eben, you need to go get rid of your, she hasn't done it yet. <clears throat> you don't do that. <laughs> so, but I, I want my life to be uh, a safe place for others. I, I, want, I want to contribute to the safety of the harbor of the church. I want, I want the church to be a safe place where people can come and encounter the presence of God, and I'm contributing to that. Interesting story. My, my family and I went on probably my favorite vacation we've been, ever been on this year. In June, we flew to Hartford, Connecticut. We rented a car, and for eight days, we drove through every New England state. My wife just wanted to check them all off. The, maybe we do that, you know. And So we went to every New England state. We ended up in Canada for a bit. And on our way back, our last day, we had scheduled to stay in an Airbnb in Portsmouth, Rhode Island. And on our, it was supposed to be just a relaxing time in Portsmouth. And, but on our way down, we still had some energy, and we decided we were going to find one last excursion to do. So they're Googling. They're great at Googling while I'm driving, right? And they, they decide to book us on a lighthouse tour. There's nothing fun in Rhode Island, right? Well, I didn't think so. It was amazing. It was just unbelievable. And so we get on this lighthouse tour, and we got to see 10 different lighthouses. And I mean... Up close, we were within 50 yards of these things. It was just spectacular. And the, the gentleman that was uh, announcing the journey, that was the commentator, had been uh, doing the announcing for the Transatlantic World Cup, the yacht race across the Atlantic. He had been announcing that for over 25 years. So this guy knew everything about boating and the lighthouses. And we actually went into Newport Harbor. And, and that transatlantic race was leaving the next day. So we got to see these 185-foot long yachts. They look like bullets in the water. Just amazing experience. But you know, in the midst of all that and that announcing, you know what I learned? You know what a lighthouse is for? You know, in, in the simplicity of my mind, I thought it was just to keep, keep you from hitting rocks, you know? Keep the boats from hitting rocks. But it's, it's really not. It's the, the purpose of a lighthouse is to help the boats to find safe harbor. You see, a harbor, or back then it was just a cove, was, was a, uh, a calm area of the sea because it was being blocked by the wind. So, so the land was blocking the, 
the wind and it was deep enough to harbor in. So we're talking about calm, deep, established harbors. And the lighthouse helped you get there. You see, I believe with all my life that the church equals safe harbor. In fact, in Mark chapter 6, we see a story. It's a story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And, and there's many takeaways from this story, but one of them is that Jesus used this, this experience to raise the faith of his disciples. And it says in Mark 6.45 that immediately Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. And while they were gone, he dismissed the crowd and he went up to the mountain to pray. So Jesus went up the mountain, the disciples went down to the sea. But here's the beautiful part of the story. It goes on in Mark 6.48 to say that he looked out and he saw that the disciples were straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And it tells us that he went out to them. Here's our takeaway. Jesus is always watching. His eye is always on his beloved. You see, you're the bride of Christ. You're the church. And his primary objective is to help you be the best you you can be. He's always watching and he's always with us. Now listen to me closely. We are the bride of Christ. We are the ecclesia. We are the chosen ones, the called out ones. We are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. We are the church. This is a safe place because Jesus is here. He's watching and nothing catches him by surprise. And you can find refuge from the winds and waves of life in the family of God because Jesus is present. Friends, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. I have a poem I want to share with you. It says this, God is my refuge, a retreat for my soul, where life and its pressures cannot take their toll. His wings watch over me, a shelter they provide. Whenever I am weary, a perfect place to hide. He will protect me, I will not be harmed, for he has me encased in his everlasting arms. God is my refuge, a safe harbor to which I flee when I am being tossed upon the storms out at sea. When I need strength for the troubles I get in, I always turn to the Lord. My refuge is within. Psalms 46.7 says this, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foams and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. The holy place where the Most High dwells, God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. As Stacy comes up to play for us here, there's a few questions I want to ask you. I'm also asking the staff to come up to pray for us, and if there's any board members and their spouses, if you could come up. We're going to be the church for just a little bit here. We're going to put this into practice. Remember, this is a safe place. I am declaring this as a safe place for you to be imperfect and for you to come and lay your burdens down and not take them out of this place. Don't leave here 
with a burden. Number one, do you desire significance? If so, where are you finding it? Number two, is your life worthy of reproduction? People are watching you. And number three, are you participating to make this a safe harbor for the lost and hurting? Your contribution matters. I believe with all my heart that God is listening. In fact, I believe that his ear is perched in our direction. He's waiting to hear us call out to him. As I've prepared for this message, I've asked the Lord to do something significant in people's lives. It's who he is. It's what he does. We are the church. We're going to exercise that significance this morning. You see, you are a faith-filled people. You are anointed by God. You are called by God. You are a royal priesthood. You are a chosen generation. Jesus has made you righteous, and you are the bride of Christ. You are the church. And we're going to lift up needs this morning. Now, I've asked, I've asked these people to come. You know, any of us can pray for each other. I don't want this to seem uh, liturgical, but... I, I did this by design. I, this is significant because I wanted you to see leadership. And God has established them. And they're here. They're standing here in faith with an anticipation that as you come, God's going to meet us here. And God's going to do the significance that only he can do. Please, I implore you, don't leave with a burden today. Don't do it. This is a safe place. Let's pray. Father, I rebuke any distraction that the enemy would try to prevent your people from responding to the tug of your spirit right now. And God, I pray that your spirit would compel the heart of humanity. You are the load lifter. You are the burden taker. And Lord, I'm asking you to do something significant in the lives of your people. In Jesus' name. If you're here and you have a burden this morning, I want you to come. If you need a physical touch, I want you to come. Walk up to someone up front here. If you've got friends or family that are struggling and you need to make intercession for them, I want you to come. It's safe. If you get up and come up here, it doesn't make you look bad. In fact, to me, it impresses me. It makes you look strong to me. If you need a touch from the master, won't you come? If you feel compelled to intercede for someone you love, won't you come? This is what the family of God looks like. You're the church. We want you to be healthy. 
won't you come?
house or anyone else. What's happening is significant. Amen. And your prayers out there in intercession is significant. It's significant. I love the church. I love what God's doing here at Berean. I love the ministry. I love the leadership. I love the team. I am thankful of what God's doing. this, I, I want to I offer one final challenge to you. How many of you know somebody that needs to be a part of something like this that's significant? Most of you. I'm asking you to invite them to come to church. And I am 100% confident that in the midst of that, the presence of God is going to meet them where they're at. And he's going to minister to them perfectly. And we'll do our part. We'll do our best. Absolutely. It's a great place. This is a safe place. They need a safe place to find what eternal significance looks like. Do you remember the day when you found it? Do you remember the day when you met Jesus? I'm reminded of people that don't know him. doesn't call us to save people. He calls us to invite people. He says the Spirit of God will convict and save the heart of humanity. Amen? So I'm challenging you to invite them to this safe place.
as we get ready to go, I just, I want to take him in and I want to bless you. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I speak blessings over your people. I pray that when they come and go through the city gates, that the favor of God, the significance of the kingdom is so evident in their life that those that see crave what they have. God, I pray for their finances. I bless them, Lord, that as they walk in obedience to the precepts of your word, that their vats would overflow in Jesus' name. I bless their health, that the sick would be made well, and those that are well re would remain well supernaturally because of the favor of God. I, I bless their relationships. Father, that they would be mended by the convicting power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Let forgiveness run deep today. And God, as we go, we go with hearts of anticipation because we've been in the presence of the living God. And everybody said amen. Thanks for being here this morning. We bless you. We're excited about what God is doing here at Brand.